those two things will set you up for success is making sure you've worked up the case fairly efficiently. And then on the other side, you know who to call. Welcome to the Sawyer Vet Now What, the podcast. This is a show that serves as your audio mentor in your journey as a veterinarian. And each week, our awesome host, Dr. Mariah McCauley, will be bringing you insightful short-form interviews with happy, successful vets who are eager to share their career and clinical tips to make your life easier. So whether you're a final year vet student or a recent graduate, this podcast is your trusted companion on the pathway to success in veterinary medicine. Over to you, Mo. Welcome back to So You're a Vet, Now What? I am your host, Dr. Mariah McCauley. If you start out in general practice, you will end up needing to refer patients to the ER at some point in your first year. But how do you do that? Here to talk us through the ABCs of ER referral is Dr. Ashley Gray from Veterinary Emergency Group. In this episode, we'll cover how to know when you need to refer, what to talk about with your client, and who to call at the ER to set your patient, client, and referral center up for success. There is a ton of info in this episode you won't want to miss, so let's dive into it. All right, you guys, welcome to another episode. And today I'm super excited to welcome my friend, Dr. Ashley Gray to the microphone. Ashley, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. You are an incredible human being. I mean, just jumping into like your list of accolades, like you're a medical director at VEG, you're an internship director, you're an author, you've co-written um, some of the new vet jumpstart guides, and you're a mom. You're kind of doing a little bit of everything, but um, so like you are incredible. So looking at today, we are focusing on mainly your role at VEG, which is the veterinary emergency group for people who are not in the United States. You live, eat, and breathe ER medicine at this point in your life. And as our new grads and our final year vet students are listening to this, we're talking to you because there is something rather scary that can happen in your first year in practice, and that is referring your first patient to the ER. There's all these questions of, how do I know when they need to be referred? What do I even do when they need to be referred? Who do I call? Who do I talk to? What's the conversations that need to happen? And it can be very overwhelming. So I'm very excited to have you on the show so that we can go through this step by step, really break it down. So again, if you guys are listening and you're like, I haven't had to refer a patient yet, or maybe you did and it didn't go as well, hopefully this can provide some framework so you have a lot more confidence in talking to your client and talking to that ER. So Ashley, I'm going to turn it right over to you. Take it away. Sounds great. Thank you so much for having me. I love your podcast, so I'm excited to be a part of it. And this is a great topic because it is completely intimidating as a new grad vet the first time you go through this, mostly because you're right, you don't know completely when to refer sometimes, and that can be a gray zone. So I'll start with a story of a time where I had a little bit of a, I wouldn't say a failure in referral, but it was one of those where I kicked myself for skipping a step. And so it will help us with kind of you going through this process as you're in the clinic. So basically, I had this older Yorkie present to me, it was within my first six months out in practice, had a really squinty red angry, angry eye. And if you're like me, I don't love eyes. When I see them, I already get a little cringy and nervous. <laughs> so 
you know, my first thought looking at it, I felt like the eye looked like it was bulging out a little bit and felt firmer than the average on exam. So I went with the first test I thought of, which was um, intraocular pressures. So I get the pressures, they come back as low. So both eyes were less than 10 and that fit with anterior uveitis. It was my first case of that. And when I went to get the book to start doing the back behind the scenes reading, I saw the list was 25 plus diseases long. And that's where the new grad overwhelm kicked in. And so I started running all these tests to look for systemic disease of why we could have this cause. Couldn't find anything, ended up referring to Optho. And when I get the report back, I find that the dog had KCS. Dun, dun, <laughs> so, <laughs> dun, dun, dun. so I missed that very important step of, you know, do the eye first and get all the tests you can that is going to rule out things that are most common to affect an eye. And so I missed my Shermer tear test. And that would have helped me to figure out, oh, that caused the anterior uveitis secondarily. So really step one is make sure that you are being pretty well-rounded in your cases. It can be easy to get an answer on blood work, but perhaps x-rays are going to help complete that picture. And in the long run, it's probably a little cheaper to do that test at your hospital than in an ER facility. So I usually say at a minimum, consider doing blood work and x-rays before sending. But we all know that sometimes you have that 20-minute slot. You can barely fit them in. And we understand that in the emergency room. So we'll get into kind of how to work through that You know, when you can't. But ideally, try to do that thorough workup and think holistically about the case before sending them. And so along those lines, who do you call? You know, a big thing to look into before you really get rocking and rolling in this process is see if your hospital already has a list of local vets that you refer to. So you'll find places like where I work, Veg, which is strictly emergency. So we don't have specialists. So we wouldn't be the one you call if you need an MRI, let's say. So you want to kind of know who you have in your nearby area, how far away they are, and then figure out by specialty who can do what. And then that way, when you go to refer your list, it's so much easier. We are not calling five places. You're just knowing, okay, I call X you know, for neurology. I call Y for you know, just a generic emergency case, things like that. Those two things will set you up for success is making sure you've worked up the case fairly efficiently. And then on the other side, you know who to call. So let's get into it. So when you have that case where you can tell that you're not going to fix this in a 30-minute appointment, the pet in front of you is very ill, you may have a disease or you may not. And so the next step there is to chat candidly with your client. Are they open to referral? Like, is this something they even want to do? And that will help you to know how much effort to put in. Because if they're like, I have $300, like this is just not in the cards for me, then that will allow you to really work together with them versus them going all the way to the ER to tell us that. So really having that upfront, are you open to referral? You know, I'll give you a better estimate here in a moment, but we're probably looking at a couple thousand, you know, if we run tests and hospitalize, are you okay with that? I think it's in you know, Fluffy's best interest. And so let's say they say yes. And along those lines, when they've said yes and confirmed, the next best thing you can do is call that emergency or specialty hospital and get that doctor to doctor phone call going. Because basically that's where you're going to give that case information. They're going to help tell you if there's anything additional you can do before transferring and they'll set expectations. You know, hey, that's sounding like a four to $6,000 case then you can prep your client for that. 
And they also may say, why don't you go ahead and place an IV? Because that'll help us to intervene quickly when you arrive. I think I'm going to stop right there because that was like the one thing, well, not the one thing, but like a major thing that I missed out on my first time I ever referred. I was like, you guys need to go to the ER now. And I just sent them. And then the ER was like, What'd you just do? <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. And so that was like the biggest thing I've learned from that experience was even if you feel like you know what the outcome is going to be, like your typical bleeding splenic mass that you're like, all right, you need to go because you need surgery, which we just can't provide here right now. I can already know what the estimate's going to be, what the expectations are, but still calling the ER. And the first question I ask is, can you guys take this patient on? And what are you expecting the estimate to be? What are additional tests that you want me to run right now before this patient heads out to you? So that's like probably that was my biggest takeaway in that first year. But as you said it, I was like that, that right there. (laughs) Exactly. It's a great part to kind of stop on and put some information around because, yeah, it can be a little intimidating. You know, you get your it's because on top of this, let's add it in. Like you said, it's a stat, right? And you may not be comfortable with a hemoabdomen case yet. And the first instinct impulse is, go! <laughs> and I totally hear that. But logically, you know, I find, I mean, what we've been open almost a year. I mean, probably only 30% of people want to go to surgery, if that. I mean, honestly, because a lot of these dogs are older and they just don't want to put them through it. And so you know, that can be really hard on these clients to go all the way to us to have that conversation when they trust you, they know you, you're their family veterinarian. And so just to see really how all in they are and talking through rough expectations. And like you said, like, as you get going, you're going to know these numbers roughly. And that's something maybe vets in the practice can tell you, like, you know, typically a hemoabdomen is X at this facility. So then that way you can just skip a step of even calling and actually seeing if your client's willing to do it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's a great point to kind of fully round out because it is so important and it will save you a lot of stress as well because there's nothing worse than sending them over to find that they were euthanized there when you could have been there for them. Yeah, that was a hard one. (laughs) Yeah, it is tough and we've all been there. But yeah, along those lines as well is a lot of times, you know, at Veg, we like to help give you advice. So we may say, hey, like, why don't you go ahead and give Serenia, maybe give a fluid bolus get that IV in. And then when they get to us, they'll be slightly more stable and ready to go. So that can be great for both helping you in your practice and then also getting them to us in a more stable place. So asking what you can do to help in the referral process can be a great next step. So, you know, from there, the next thing is you really want to make sure your medical record is complete. All of your lab work, diagnostics, everything is all linked up and get that over to the facility We've recently, unfortunately, had a few transfers come in where the test didn't come in on that Saturday afternoon after they sent them. And that can be really challenging because we might have roughly talked about it over the phone, but sometimes you really need those numbers, you know, when you're trying to compare, did we respond? You know, was that potassium borderline low and now it's really low? So making sure those records get to us is super important. One thing I did in GP is I would just print them, honestly. I'm like, they're already there. I'm going to go ahead and print them because... As much as like, you know, millennials, Gen Z, we love technology, it still fails us. (laughs) And that's probably like, yeah, it's probably like the biggest frustration I have is where I'm like, like, I know the front desk sent the email, like it's through the ethersphere, whatever. But still, I'm like, I'm just printing the paper. Here you go. And I guess like my other question is with the medical record, a lot of these cases, like obviously you've 
had to eat into your next two or three appointments to get the workup done, um, get the conversation started between the ER and the client. And now you have like no time. And like for me, my nearest ER is 10 minutes away. So I know my client's there and they're already triaging before I've even like technically finished my record. And of course, I want it to be complete. But are there any tidbits that you would add? Because like I always feel bad when I like ship over this really crappy like soap essentially, but it's like, this is the bare minimum of, this is what we did. This is what we said. This is what we're doing. Like there's no fluff to it at all. And I always feel so bad about that. That's okay. And honestly, at Veg, we write our records very straightforward because we don't need the fluff. We just want to know what you gave, when you gave it, diagnostic results. So I think that's perfect. And even if maybe you have your nurse like draft up here's what we did and here are the results and they have that. And then you finish your record, you know, within the couple hours, I think that's reasonable too. The main things we need to know is like when things were given and what tests were done so far, that's probably the most pertinent. And then as a CYA in your record, I also just really like to write like discussed estimate of XX owner okay. approved. Cause then it just looks good as well to the referring practice that they see this was clearly communicated. And along those lines, letting them know like, Hey, they're probably going to take a prepayment. You're going to have to be prepared to upfront do this in that moment. Because I think with these big bills, people don't always realize that. We can thank health insurance for humans um, for that. (laughs) You know, you just go in and walk out casually without paying anything. It's so weird. Yeah, it's so odd. But I think setting them up for, hey, you may have to pay $3,000, you know, just being upfront with that just makes it really smooth because that's probably one of those mild tensions that can easily be alleviated between your client and the specialty center is that conversation. It's just, we very clearly communicated this. No, I think this is awesome. So I guess like revamping what we've done so far, it's like deciding, okay, what are all the diagnostics I need to do? Asking the client, hey, are you up for referral potentially? If yes, then call ER, see if they can take them, see what they recommend, anything additional, get your diagnostics done set the expectations again for the client about finance, about wait times as well. Because that's the other bit is like if you have a patient that you can stabilize and they know, hey, it's a three to four hour wait, you kind of can like put them into the the lineup in a way to be like, okay, we're going to send you over in two or three hours type of thing to get them in. And then that way you can send your client off with full expectations on what's going to happen when they hit the ER. Absolutely. I love that. That was a great added point there. And that's also something that's important in that doctor to doctor call is to share stability because ultimately these unstable patients should be skipping the line. You know, we're always going to see the urgent to criticals Mm -hmm. first. So them having that expectation of wait times is great. You know, that stable, you know, I want that ultrasound now kind of client is probably going to wait a long time. So that's a great point. So I love that. And so you've gotten your medical records over. The other piece is that some centers do have referral forms that you need to fill out. And that's something that your receptionist can do. The nurse you're paired with that day, you know, easy to do. It's just kind of um, pulling it all together and it sends the client's contact information. That would be the other thing. So on top of your medical record, your tests, seeing if they have a special referral form. At Veg, we don't have that, but I know a lot of the specialty centers do. No, that's a really good point to bring up because I know there's been a couple like for neurology or, or even I think there was a nutrition form even that I was referring to, which that's not ER, but getting all those filled out is probably one of the more tedious things. And so have, again, like delegating that to your team to make sure that this happens. Because of course, 
I think about the type of patients that we refer over and like, at least from general practice, there is the, this is an emergency. We need like to deal with this right now. And we don't have the ability, like a respiratory distress case. I know there was one that we literally got in the car with the client with like two nurses monitoring Mm -hmm. SpO2 with a tank of oxygen, like going down the road kind of level of the bleeding mass. But then there's also the ones where they need intensive continued care that we just can't provide because we don't have overnight care. And so those are the ones that obviously you can kind of keep in your hospital during the day and then send over to ER and then potentially even come back to GP the next day for continued care. So Absolutely. those are the the two main categories that I think of from GP. But do you have any others that like for our new grads to be thinking about like, okay, if I need to refer, when does referral happen? Yeah. And so like with cases in general, because I think you, you kind of nailed it that there's going to be the ones that you know, you know, this is a sick pet that needs to stay overnight versus maybe this is a pet that needs a few more tests to determine if they need to stay. And then the other would be like, if you end up doing a surgery at your facility and want it to stay overnight for monitoring, that's very common as well. We have a lot of GPs here in the Charlotte area that will cut a hemo abdomen and then we'll watch it overnight mm-hmm. for them. So those are all kind of ways to look at the cases you see. And I will say there is a five o'clock rush for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> when GPs close, we tend to be busiest between 5 and 8 p.m. So honestly, if I could give any advice, I would try to send patients before 4 p.m. They will have less of a wait there, just knowing that everyone tends to send at that same time. So that's probably like our witching hour is 5 to 8 p.m. like any day <laughs> of the week. Weekends are fair game at any time. Okay. Yeah. So that would be kind of a rule of thumb there. And Kind of to round it out, like a last thought would be, it's really helpful to have that client follow through and put that call back in to check in with them. And some clinics are better than others. I found this in GP. Sometimes I would get records. Sometimes I wouldn't. You should have records hopefully within 24 to 48 hours. If you don't have them, you can have your receptionist call. So that can give you a heads up to make sure you know your patient made it through their stay. That might change your approach to them. But ultimately, getting those records, see what happened, it's a great learning opportunity. So review it, see what they did, and take that as a way to grow. And then the other side of it is then follow up with Mrs. Smith, because that's going to mean the world to her and bond you eternally that you've done that follow-up. So I think that's a great way to finish out the referral process. I think that is beautiful. And I love that you ended it on that note, because that is a side that a lot of us like honestly forget about. You're like, all right, I sent them over to ER. They're going to do whatever they do at that point. But remembering that, hey, that is still your client. Like They're still going to see you on the regular from there on out, most likely. So remembering to put that call back in. Call them yourself. If you can't call them yourself, again, delegate to a nurse to call them. But again, I think this was very helpful. There's a lot of things that honestly, I was like, oh, yeah, that is a really good thing to think about. Like, honestly, I'm now going to refer my patients that have been staying with me all day before five o'clock. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of those little secrets, you know, I watched the now that I'm in the medical director yeah. role, I can see our heat map. So I know like exactly when we blow up and it's been consistent the whole year. So there's my little secret for y'all. No, I think that is helpful. <laughs> It'll make the ERs happier with me as GP practitioner than I'm not sending things over at five for them. But again, I think this was super helpful and we're definitely going to have you back on for future episodes because I know there's a ton more ER related things that our first year veterinarians and uh, final year students are going to be thinking So Ashley, thank you once again for coming on the show. And if you guys have any more questions, don't forget to send them in. But otherwise, we'll see you next week. Bye, guys. 
So that's it for another show. Thank you so much to Dr. Mariah and her guests for today's tips. And if you're interested in learning more about what we do to support early stage vets in their careers, then check out my book, Sorry Vet Now What, or non-clinical skills training class of the same name. Until next time, take care. Thank you.